I'm Jenny. And I'm Shelby. And this is Chub Rub Book Club. This is the podcast where we talk about young adult genre fiction, so fantasy and sci-fi, from an embodiment lens. It's two best friends talking books and embodiment. Hey, Shelby. Jenny, hi. How are are you? you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm well. What about you? I'm doing good. Trying to stay cool in this hot, hot, hot July. Oof. Yeah. In Louisiana. You know, like, it's weirdly hot and humid up here in Ohio as well. I have to admit that I'm not a big fan of summer, typically, because heat. I don't like it. Yes, and one of the reasons I chose the apartment complex I'm in is because it has a beautiful pool, but guess what pool hasn't been open because of coronavirus? Oh, man. I mean, it makes sense, and, like, I'm glad that you're staying safe, but that's a shame. Me too, but it's one of the many things that I'm missing out on with everything that's going on in the world. But, you know, being healthy is more important. It is. Yeah. Very first world problem, but still a problem. <sighs> so, Jenny, um, to start us off today, before we dive into our book, we were going to talk about our favorite bookstores. Another thing that is blocked off to us at this time, but we can still hold them safe in our hearts. Yes, very dear to our hearts. Oh, and also before we dive into that, actually, um, if you have not listened to episode one and you want to get to know us a little bit and learn a little more about the podcast and how it came to be, uh, you can go back and listen to that before coming back to this one. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about bookstores, Jenny. You start. My favorite bookstore in the world is called McKay's and it has multiple locations across uh, East Tennessee but the one that is closest to my heart is in Chattanooga and it is a used bookstore but also they sell other media so uh, DVDs, video games, all that kind of stuff but I go for the books. They they have comic books too. It is a glorious place. Yes, Shelby has been there. It is a warehouse just full of these shelves it's going there is such an adventure you never know what they're gonna have there's no way for them to like look up if they have a certain book like they're just like i don't know go try the shelf that it should be on maybe it's there and often it's not but you find something else you didn't know you were looking for that's Um, the best kind something else that you didn't know you were looking for it's awesome i would say I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I would say a good 60% of my bookshelf was acquired at McKay's and their prices are great. Uh, they, you can sell books to them too. So whenever I get done with certain series that I'm think, you know, maybe I want to keep this, maybe I don't, uh, I can sell it, get money for a new series. It's fantastic. So McKay's hands down, if you're in Knoxville, Chattanooga, um, I think there might be a location somewhere in the Carolinas, but or don't at me. Or maybe at me. Do what you want. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would recommend McKay's. What about you? I would have to say, you know, like McKay's is amazing. Uh, but one place that's actually very dear to my own heart uh, is called The Book Thing. It is in Baltimore, Maryland. And... It's not exactly a bookstore, but it is a used book thing, um, mm-hmm. a location that's only open like on certain, during certain hours on Saturdays, and you can go in and you can take as many books as you want or need um, for free. And that's awesome. I think it's amazing because, first of all, free books. Who doesn't love that? Um, But especially because, you know, folks who, like, can't afford to buy books, even used books, because it stacks up if you read a lot. Um, And, you know, whose local library maybe doesn't have everything that they, you know, like to read or whatever. Maybe they don't have um, an address for a library card, something like that. Um, The book thing provides a place for people of all socioeconomic levels to 
be able to find something to read. And they have some really interesting stuff. You know, it, it can be hit or miss, but, you know, I found cool cookbooks there. I found fantasy stuff. I found, uh, I think they have, like, magazines. Um, so when I lived in Baltimore for a summer, I loved loved the book thing when I visited Baltimore when I drove up there I actually made like a special point to stay until Saturday afternoon so I could go to the book thing that's awesome I have such a big smile across my face just thinking about you exploring the book thing it's so good and like it's I think I'm pretty sure it's completely volunteer run like just such a cool place well with all that in mind Shelby you want to talk about the book that we read yes Please, let's. Um, oh my gosh. So I, this is going to be fun too because Jenny and I have different feelings about this book. We talked before the podcast. We fine. did. Um, Jenny, why don't you introduce it since this book was your idea? Okay, so I've had a little bit of internal conversation with myself about how to say the name of this book because mm-hmm. it has an ampersand in it. And I don't know if I should use E because Blanca and Roja are Spanish names. If I should use E for and, or if I should use English and. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I, when I think of this book in my head and when I've said it out loud to other people, I have said Blanca and Roja because uh-huh. um, while the book has some Spanish phrases, uh, it's mostly written in English. Um, and that is my primary language. However, I don't think that either way of pronouncing it is incorrect. Wow. We are, we are walking ourselves straight into one of our themes just through a discussion of how to pronounce the title, because I think you're right. I think there's room for it to be both E and and, and for that to not even be a contradiction. Yep. Um, so I'm going to say Blanca y Roja. And it's by Anna Marie Macklemore. And um, I picked this book out because I love me a fairy tale retelling. It's it's my genre. And um, I'm also a thing about me you might should know is that uh, I am fluent in Spanish and I majored in Spanish. So this idea of Snow White and Rose Red being retold through this lens of um, Latina women's experiences and um, Latinx communities is was really really fascinating to me from the jump. So that is what first drew me to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I agreed because again, also love fairy tale retellings, um, but also like the cover of this book is beautiful. And I know it's that gorgeous. they literally always say like you can't judge a book by its cover, and it's become a metaphor for like actual embodiment, which is ironic. Um, but honestly, I can get sucked in by a good cover. Um, I'm not it's necessarily so deterred by a bad cover, but oh my gosh, it's such a pretty cover. It's like roses and swans and this beautiful script uh, of these names, um, Blanca and Roja. So for anyone who is unfamiliar with Spanish color words, um, Blanca means white and roja means red. Um, so the conceit of the book is literally that there are these two sisters um, whose names reflect their coloring, um, Blanca being paler and having yellow hair, and roja being darker and having... My favorite description of her hair was that it's like sheer wine. Um, <laughs> like that really dark red. Um it's described as blood colored too, but yeah. I like I Bl- like cheer wine. It's my favorite soda. <laughs> blood soaked hair. Mm-hmm. Creepy. Yeah, and so I actually had never even heard the Snow White and Rose Red fairy tale until mm-hmm. after I read this book. Like I, I read the fairy tale online, the Grimm's fairy tale today, before we oh, really? or we're recording this podcast. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah it's interesting the the basic premise of the book is this fairy tale retelling of snow white and rose red about these two sisters who inherit a family curse that turns one daughter each generation into a swan so it's like every single family 
unit. Everyone who has children always has at least two daughters, and one of them is always taken when they turn, is it 15? 16? I think it's 15. Um, one of them is taken and becomes a swan. So, so super interesting premise. Fascinating. And this is a good time to flag hands in the air, waving them about. Maybe I'm doing it literally. You don't know. Um, <laughs> that we are in spoiler territory. Oh. This is not a... This is not a spoiler-free podcast. No. Um, If you're going to read the book and you care about spoilers and you haven't read it yet, this is the place to stop and go read the book. Highly recommend. Well, I highly recommend. We'll see what Jenny says. We'll talk. (laughs) Um, Tell us, hey, while we're on the subject, tell us why you highly recommend. Jenny, I love this book. I love this book. I I read it a few months ago, um, and I, I reread it the past few days in preparation for recording this podcast. And, oh, it's beautiful. The prose, the characters, um, the ah, – man, I just – you know what? I'm going to have to pull up my Goodreads review because I think it sums up well how I feel about it. I gave this book five stars on Goodreads. We are going to give ratings out of uh, on a scale of one to ten, but mm-hmm. Goodreads only uh, gives you five stars. So, all right, my review. This is a beautiful story about family and identity woven together with magic and love. A Latinx queer take on a combination of some classic fairy tales, Blanca and Roja tore me open and put me back together again. This is the kind of book that derives its value from coloring outside the lines, getting creative, and replacing predictability with nuance. I highly recommend. Shelby, that review was beautiful. Thank you. I The book was beautiful. It deserved a beautiful review. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I just, especially having like watched sort of the classic, like Disney Snow White Mm -hmm. and I've actually read quite a few fairy tale retellings of Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, and I just had never heard Snow White and Rose Red. And, uh, one thing that I absolutely loved towards the end of the book Um, page 363 it says Snow White fell in love with a boy who brought her apples a knife in the back pocket of his jeans and that to me was just like yes this is that that encompasses well like part of what this retelling is about it's about sort of flipping on its head the idea that like what you thought you knew is true Mm -hmm. yeah I, yeah, I, oh, oh, Shelby. Um, I, the, the problem is I agree with you on a lot of those points, but I just, like, I could not, it's so odd because in theory, this book is everything I want, and the themes are, like, to the moon and back, love them from my head to my toes, like the author's note at the end, I like underlined every single word. But for whatever reason, like the writing, I just, I, I didn't love it. Um, and the only thing I can say is, the only thing I can say is that I think it's just not my preferred style, which is not, which is to say, I think it's beautiful and I think it's important, but I, it, it didn't make me want to keep reading it in the same way that I think it grabbed you. Mm-hmm. I realized I was itching for a moment of humor or to take a breath for a second or for something to just be like simple. Mm-hmm. And it just not, it's just, that's just not how this book rolls. Um, which is all good. Like I think that's important. Um, but for me, it was just, it felt so heavy yeah the entire time and I was just like I needed to come up for air and it full disclosure it took me a long time to read um I think because 
and ornate is a word I keep coming back to. Like Macklemore's prose is gorgeous, but it feels it feels a little bit to me like iron wrought furniture. Like mm. it's it's heavy because it's so beautiful and has so many like turns in it, and she works them so beautifully and so masterfully. But then you're left with this piece that like picking it up is heavy. Um, and so maybe I just wasn't in the right place to pick it up. Maybe, um, I can, I will come back to this book and love it. But at the place in my life where I'm at right now, I'm, I'm pretty much right down the middle. Um, which kind of breaks my heart because I wanted to love it. I really wanted to love it, but I just, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's worth saying, too, that I, as much as I love this book, I did have a hard time in the beginning. Uh, it, it didn't grab me um, until, like, a little ways in. And it was easier for me to get into it the second time because I sort of knew where it was headed. But even, I, I couldn't even remember, one reason I had to reread it is that I couldn't even quite remember, like, what exactly happened at the end. Um, yeah. and I mean, it, it it's a little it, unclear to be fair. <laughs> I mean, it, it sort of, I feel like flows like a river and then the end is like a waterfall. Like it's just mm-hmm. quick and heavy and hard and like, bam, like mm-hmm. unexpected, there's a drop. Um, but it, it's like a good exhilarating one. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I I mean, there are so many things. Um, so in the author's note, um, Macklemore says, so often Latino women are called to rip ourselves apart, to reduce ourselves to versions of who can be easily understood. So often it pits us against each other, and the only way we survive is to find our way back to each other and ourselves to resist the idea that we must be one version of ourselves or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the Kindle version, so that's location 4,801, if anyone's interested. But this idea that this idea that there's expectations on Latino women, specifically, to be these archetypes um, and to live up to these expectations and the ways that that theme interacts with questions and issues and themes about gender mm-hmm. um, is like so important. I, I like I said, I underlined like the entire author's note, um, and deserves to be talked about in ways that you don't. I mean. I haven't seen any of adult literature. Yeah. Uh, I, so that author's note uh, actually brings me to page 367 uh, in the, the book itself. Um, Our mother always told us not to tell lies, even to ourselves, because uh-huh. they become truer every time you said them. But we had told ourselves lies, and they had become the truth. We had started to believe that Roja was the sister whose heart was a handful of hard red jewels, and I was the one as insubstantial as the hollow center of a cranberry. The lie of who we were had killed who we might have been. It had buried us. It stripped us down into girls uncomplicated enough to be understood. Now... We pulled ourselves free from the lies we had taken into our own bodies. We crushed them to stardust and let the wind steal them. We held on to our hope that the truth was water, so that there was nowhere it could not get in, or that it was light spilling into all the unseen places. I just love that passage of this book. Uh, especially I, I highlighted this line. Now we pulled ourselves free from the lies we had taken into our own bodies. Mm-hmm. I yeah. underlined that part too. I, I love it. Um, so good. I just, I think so often 
I think, and yeah, I, I, you know, you can call it so many different things. And I really like the way Macklemore talks about insubstantiality, like a cranberry and a handful of hard red jewels, um, as, as the sort of stereotypical binary that's created, um, for Latino women. But there are so many binaries like that that people are expected to live into Mm -hmm. and the truth is just like those don't exist in real people's lives yeah Um, or they do but they're constructed right um yeah I and I think especially speaking as somebody who is not a person of color like I think especially we've seen I won't say we've seen it's it's certainly true in American culture that there are expectations and stereotypes that people of color are expected to fit into mm-hmm. that is ultimately dehumanizing because it doesn't recognize this complexity and spectrum of human life and dignity yeah um, and yeah I think this book does a really good job of respecting, not respecting, what word am I looking for, Shelby? Recognizing that those stereotypes exist and are powerful, but also that they're false. Yeah. I think, I think you can fall into the trap of saying like, well, they're constructed, so they're not important. It's like, well, yeah, they are constructed, but like they have, fatal effects on people's lives yeah um but that doesn't mean that you're doomed i mean i hope it doesn't mean that people are doomed to have to try to fit into them yeah and i i think that this book uh sort of it it almost made me angry while i was reading it even though i knew where it was ending up um because blanca and roja lived into those lies um, they they told themselves those lies over and over again of like who they were because of especially because of how they looked, um, and uh, I've I've got another couple of quotes um, on page forty six. My sister and I had been born fair and dark. Her looking like a girl in a fairy tale who would grow up sweet, a princess, and me like one who would grow into a cruel witch. I had seen the pictures in storybooks. Uh, and I think that that quote, like, speaks to, like, in uh, literature, especially in children's books, um, the way that pictures are painted and things are sort of uh, boiled down to this simplistic narrative. Like, I think that's one of the beautiful things about storytale, uh, uh, sorry, about fairy tale retellings is that it takes these sort of, boiled down less complicated stories and weaves them back into a more nuanced perspective and um, just the complexity that a story like this really deserves yeah I agree and I mean yeah I I underline that same thing. We, that's going to be a theme. I just, every, every quote you're saying, I'm like, yep, got it. Um, but this idea, I was having a conversation with my stepsister, shout out to my stepsister when she listens to this, um, about this idea about representation in media and it, you know, this whole idea of, I, I, I've seen the pictures in storybooks, um, Mm -hmm. and what it means to see blonde, white, skinny, straight, uh, rich, uh, I can go on princesses your entire life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the, the images that that plants in your head and the language that that gives you is really 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 hard to get rid of yeah 
Yeah. Um, and, and sort of going back to that uh, sort of false dichotomy bi- idea of like the binary, um, another quote that I uh, wrote down is on page 255. I was a girl who would never exist in a fairy tale, not just because of the brown of my body, but because of my heart, neither pure enough to be good nor cruel enough to be evil. I was a girl lost in the deep, narrow space between the two forms girls were allowed to take. Yeah. Yeah, being lost in between that binary is a theme in this book. Um, I think, or not even necessarily being lost in between the binary, um, but finding oneself in between the binary. I mean, I think that that uh, is a really central part of Paige's story. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, Paige is a boy who uses he, him pronouns and she, her pronouns, as long as the she, her pronouns don't make people assume that, that Paige, is a girl. Paige is a girl. Yeah. Um, and, uh, gosh, I wrote down, um, on uh, page, on, there's a, sorry, go ahead. There's, there's a quote on page 21. The ways in which they tried to understand me always reduced down too far to them asking if I just liked wearing jeans and boys shirts or if I was a boy who wanted to be called he. I tried saying yes and no, that it was both and neither one, and also more than these things. That I was a boy, but that it was not as simple as me wanting to be called he. That I liked being called he and him, but that I would have liked being called she and her sometimes too, if it didn't let everyone settle into the assumption that I was a girl. I had never been a girl, would never be a girl. And then a little further along, girl would have meant not only accepting a word that did not match me, but all the requirements folded into that word. Um, yeah, there's another quote later. Um, pages in the middle of a conversation with Yearling um, Barclay. Yearling, I think, is what he prefers, so let's go with that. Um, and Yearling is saying, you know, screw the world. They don't get you. They, you know, forget it. And Paige, this just broke my heart, and I think it talk. I think it really talks about this trying to find yourself in that binary, and or not in that binary, in a spectrum, and uh, how real systems of oppression really are. Um, it says this time Paige's laugh was gentle, tolerating. Uh, Paige says, "You don't get it." He shook his head. You never have. You think you can just cut a path for me in the world and nothing will ever get in the way. But when you're like me, when you're anything other than what everyone thinks you should be, you don't always, you don't always get to make those kinds of demands. I don't get to say screw it to anyone who doesn't accept me, not in a town this small. Maybe I should, but I don't think I'll get anywhere that way. Mm -hmm. This like, I don't know. I think Paige is a really beautiful character for a lot of reasons, but this insistence that Paige has that, like, the world is awful to mm-hmm. her, and yet he can't just walk away from it. Mm-hmm. And he tries, right? Like, but he ha- she has to come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reality of living in a world that is is not designed for you. Mm-hmm. Or, in fact, is designed to um, oppress you and make you smaller uh, or even kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting, the interplay between uh, – you know, Paige and Yearling being white and Blanca and Roja being Latina. Um, I mean, even when uh, Yearling's grandmother, Tess, comes to, how do you say it? Is it Del Cisne? Del Cisne. Cisne? Del Cisne? 
so Tess comes to the Del Cisne house and Del Cisne literally means of the swan, so it's makes sense. It's not it's not like an unheard of last name, um uh as far as Latinx last names go, but it is it is a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Um but so Tess goes to the Del Cisne house uh and hands Blanca a shotgun and Blanca's like, um no, I don't want this. And uh, she says, before I could come up with a good reason to go after her, before I could weigh the risks of being a Del Cisne girl seen chasing a gringa grandmother with her own shotgun, Tess was gone. And that's how she ends up with this shotgun that ends up playing a a pretty big role in the story. Um, Pretty pivotal. Yeah. But to to be a, a Latina girl... Uh, and not just a Latina girl, but a Latina girl that this community uh, has shunned. That th- right. this family has so much superstition and story around them. Um, that, yeah, to, to see uh, a Del Cisne girl running through the woods after an old white lady uh, with a shotgun. <laughs> like, that, that is dangerous. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I... It's really interesting. I was thinking a lot about, um, I, I know a girl who's Honduran and has blonde hair and I've talked with her before and I, I, this book made me really want to like sit down with her and kind of have some of the conversations that, um, have come up through reading the book with her because I, it, it, you know, like genetically, there are blonde Latinx people. Like, it's totally not a big deal. Like, it happens. Um, and one line that Blanca says, it's really funny. I was collating my notes, and almost all of my notes come from Roja's perspective chapters. Hmm. Um, I just, like, I don't know. The way she was written just resonated with me more, but... Um, Blanca at one point says what marked me as part of my own family made the world love me a little less yes. closeness to one always meant distance from the other this idea that like Blanca is an interesting character because she lives in this liminal space of being able to to pass mm-hmm. you know quotes included um, as white but also as belonging to uh, a Latinx family and this idea that embracing one always always meant a shunning of the other because of the way that the society is constructed yeah um and what a heartbreaking position that makes for her Mm -hmm. um you know it's easy i think it's easier to be like well you know roja is the one with these markers of um these markers of latinx identity in really obvious ways but that doesn't mean that Blanca doesn't have her own share of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just points to this entire idea that, like, comparing trauma is an unhelpful exercise in a lot of ways because both of these young people, I mean, all four of these young people, let's be real, mm-hmm. uh, that narrate the book have their own traumas and what looking, what navigating those looks like is going to be different for each of them. Yeah, and I want to I want to come back to that to the the different traumas that are experienced in this book. Um, but one one of the things that stood out to me uh, was also uh, Roja's description of Blanca, the way that she has hair gold as October leaves, eyes brown as light as acacia honey, like amber, a brown that could be forgiven. Uh-huh. Like oof that. Yeah, and, and where, you know, Blanca is like, her skin is like blanched almonds, whereas Roja's skin is is like the, the skins of those almonds that her mother sweeps off the counter. Mm. Yeah, and like the way that their family treats them um, based on, on colorism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way that that exists like within their own community. Uh, that that Blanca is seen as the good girl, um, partially because she's lighter. 
um, if not entirely because she's lighter and she takes on that identity. And I, I loved it. Um, uh, you know, this whole idea of good girl. If you're a good girl, you can get a blue-eyed boy and all of that. And then at the end of the book, Blanca says, good girls had their own ways of hitting back uh, uh. on page 360 when she uh, sort of screws with Liam uh, by giving him everything that he wants but making it work out in Yearling's favor and all of their favor. So, yeah. yeah, I, so if you're, if you're listening out there and you're interested in this idea of intrafamilial uh, colorism in Latinx communities, uh, which is a little niche, but whatever, um, I actually wrote my senior thesis in college um, on the book Caramello by Sandra Cisneros and the uh, themes of intergenerational, interfamilial colorism um, in a Chicana family. Um, and yeah, this idea that this idea that colorism is so, I mean, it's obviously, obviously ingrained in American society, like look outside. Um, look inside, right? Like in mm, look in the mirror. Both directions. Um but that, you know, for whatever reason, colorism is a reality in communities of color as well. Mm-hmm. Um and that and I don't wanna like cast aspersions. I don't want to be like, well that makes this group of people bad or whatever, but the idea that that, that kind of discrimination i think in america we tend to be like well you know there's white and there's black but like obviously that binary is broken and doesn't make any sense and you know thinking about this idea that even in a world more complex than that there are still biases and prejudices um and what it would mean i've been thinking so much about this shelby about how pervasive good and evil being light and dark is in our society and it makes me crazy like once you realize it it's everywhere it's in every song it's in most poems it's in every book not every obviously we have an example but like it drives me absolutely nuts and um you know as a as a self-professed Christian, like it's all over the Christian holy text, mm-hmm. you know, it's all over, it's all over. And I think it, I think it does real harm that over and over again, darkness is something to be defeated. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's heartbreaking. Um, because, because, yeah, those narratives really, really matter. And those those images, like, they contribute to systems of, they, I don't even want to say contribute, like, it's possible that they make systems of oppression, right? Like, Yeah, and I mean, thinking, too, about, like, and, and what this is, is, is the way that white supremacy has like settled into communities of color and like become internalized mm-hmm. um I, I mean I and I and it's not just in America either I think that we saw when we traveled to India um uh primarily the southeast region um when we were traveling we saw billboards for skin lightening creams um and 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 heard stories of the ways that um, darker-skinned Indians uh, were often treated as less mm-hmm. than. And I've had similar experiences in Central and South America. I remember one of the first times I was in Honduras, I asked my friend, who is a Honduran, um, I asked her, hey, why are all the billboards light-skinned people, like, most of the most of the people I see out and about 
have darker skin? Why are all the billboards light-skinned people? And that was really the first time that, you know, this poor girl, she was probably, like, 14, um, had to, like, try to explain colorism to me. And I was shocked, which, you know, is is a marker of my privilege, right? But... Wow. Uh, hey, Shelby. Hey, yeah. Do you want to talk about periods? Yes, I really do. <laughs> okay, Body talk. So, yeah. Roja's periods, man. Also, like the probably intentional irony of her name being Roja. Um, uh-huh. And of Blanca's periods being like so much lighter uh, I, I think there's a passage in the book where it says that Roja bleeds more in one day than Blanca bleeds in a whole month. Uh-huh. Um, and, oh my gosh, like, the pain that she goes through sounds excruciating. She literally uh-huh. falls down the stairs trying to drag herself uh, towards a remedy when Blanca isn't there to take care of her. Um and Nearling helps takes care of her and melted my heart a little bit. My yeah. cold, cold heart. Like seeing this, you know, young white boy taking care of this Latina girl who is having these awful periods and he doesn't shy away from that pain. He doesn't shy away from blood. Like probably partially because of what he's been through himself. Uh, he's seen a lot of blood, but um, – yeah, the stigma that is attached to periods and the honest way that they're discussed um, in this book, the connection uh, that she writes about to the moon, um, just, I mean, folds all of this embodiment conversation. Uh, yeah, it, it just, I, I was just struck. Like, I'd never seen periods written about, like, quite this way and I think it's so funny like she can only eat the blue ice cream Mm -hmm. um like uh yeah I just can can I hit you with a quote not from the book but um I saw this quote on tumblr because of course that's where I spend a lot of my time um I saw it on tumblr like months ago and I read this book and I was immediately like oh my gosh where is that one picture of that one sign that I saw on tumblr months ago and I found it. It took some careful Googling. Um, you know, I'm sitting in front of my computer being like, menstruation, violence, blood. <laughs> like, being like, I don't know what's going to come back at me. Um, but it's a, so it's a protest sign um, in Spanish. And it's not, a tr- I tried, I really did. I'm really sorry. I tried to find who made it and I couldn't. Um, but it says, la menstruación es la única sangre que no nace de la violencia y es la que más asco te da. Which means, menstruation is the only blood that is not born of violence, and it is the one which disgusts you the most. Hmm. Yep. And it's like, yeah, like this idea that, you know, there's it's connected to life-giving and... Um, you know, the very stuff that makes us human and it's natural. And yet like, God forbid you talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we can see, we can see people get hit and punched and cut up and bleeding everywhere. And yet like, we can't even in like pad commercials show red blood. Mm-hmm. Right. Like. You have to use like a blue solution. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, menstruation is the only blood that is not born of violence, and it is the one which disgusts you the most. Um, Yeah, and just thinking about what it means, what it would mean as a as a as a society. I keep saying I keep talking about the U.S. as a society, and it just makes me like it gets me in my head. But I mean, we are a society. Let's not. it's, It's what it is. Um, sorry, you can cut that. Uh, but the, yeah, this idea that we're so comfortable with violence, but so uncomfortable with the reality of embodied life, mm-hmm. um, for women, for trans men, for non-binary folks, for, I mean, trans people of all genders, but, 
um, just thinking about people who experience periods, but, um, yeah, that it's so demonized and yet like half of the population experiences it most of them every month. Like, oh man. Yep. And this idea too. So, I mean, real talk, I, I, so I've been on the pill since I was 12 there is this like part of me that's like it's so weird that I have to do something to stop myself from having this part of my body do this thing that I don't like mm-hmm. and that's like I mean cry me a river right like I don't have a chronic illness <laughs> like that's such like a small part of what people with chronic illnesses experience every day but just this idea that that your body can be doing something that's quote unquote normal for it, but that causes you so much pain and discomfort and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, I think periods are like people, a lot of people's first entrance into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, the, the way that periods were talked about in the book, uh, particularly the first time I read it was just so striking to me. Um, and uh, I did. I did really want to bring that up because it can be kind of a taboo topic, um, as well as uh, the idea we talked earlier about trauma, the different traumas that the characters have experienced. Um, and uh, on page one ninety two, Yearling sort of, in his perspective, is exploring the way that trauma lives in his body. He's having PTSD. Uh, when he sees Liam and and that trauma lives there and on page 315 uh, he's, he says the thought of carrying around my body this body I had lived my whole life in wore on me um, and just the idea that these relationships with our bodies can be so complicated and like yeah there have totally been times when I've wanted to get out of my body um, where I felt trapped by it, where I felt exhausted by it. Um, and I think it's interesting, like, the way that they sort of explore that through Paige and Yearling uh, sort of being transformed into the woods and then transformed back into their boy bodies, uh, the way that Blanca and Roja are uh, ultimately they become swans and then are no longer swans. Um, yeah, and that idea of, like, uh, I, I wrote down this sort of question for myself. Like, can one still be oneself apart from their body? Because uh, there's... Oh, that's a question, ain't it? Yeah, I mean, because Paige, as he's coming back out of the woods, um, talks about the want for his own body. Um, it says, even with all the questions it brought with it, not my questions, everyone else's, but it was still my body. Um, and when Paige comes back into himself, when Yearling comes back into himself, like they, they talk about, um, and Blanca and Roja too, about becoming themselves again when they're back in their bodies. Um, like were they still themselves when they were apart from them or when their bodies were transformed in that way? Um, uh, Roja, I think says at some point, Um, So when the swans are giving the girls back their bodies to cause this destruction, she says, the swans had to give us back our girl bodies to do it. The hands and hair and teeth that made us Blanca and Roja. It's on page 340. Um, So that idea there that like your body makes up who you are. So, like, how how do we live in that sort of space where we're not defined by our bodies, uh, but we realize that our embodiment is a a key part of our existence and our identity and our being? Darn, that's the question, ain't it? Yeah. I I feel like we're going to come back around to that one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've heard sermons on it, uh, you know, because there are... Uh, in in Christian theologies, uh, you know, some people believe that your soul leaves your body uh, mm-hmm. when you die. There's a 
there's a famous, I think it's C.S. Lewis quote that, um, you are, it's, it's, you are not a body, you are a soul, you have a body. Hmm. And I believed that for a long time. Um, and now I, I, I think there's something really destructive about that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Christian idea of bodily resurrection, uh, means something uh nancy island is a a christian disability or was a christian disability um theologian writer researcher um she wrote the book um the disabled god and part of christ's resurrection uh is about uh the resurrected body of christ being wounded Mm -hmm. um and that god uh, God's self is wounded. Um, yeah. And that, that idea that, uh, in order to prove to, um, to Thomas, the doubting disciple that Jesus was Jesus, um, the wounds had to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, seeming, you know, imperfection, the marks of, um, of a terrible state sanctioned state death. execution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a part of who Jesus is, was, um, yeah. I mean, just really interesting ideas of can we be ourselves if we are not in our body? Um, what does it mean when our, when we die and our bodies are buried or cremated or, you know, whatever, put in a mushroom suit? Uh, there are so many different ways of, um, of body I want to be alkaline hydrolyzed, but again, a topic for another day. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, like, when we, I mean, okay, this is getting, like, kind of out there now, but even thinking about zombies, for example. <laughs> okay, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I love, I love a good zombie plot. Um, but, you know, like, when zombies come back to life, like, the, the sort of, rhetoric around it is that's not them anymore Uh you know like you can you can kill them you have to kill them because that's not them anymore that's just their body like their Uh body you know didn't mean something but then there's also this attachment to the body right of like we don't burn our own we bury them um you know like other people's bodies like these other zombies we can burn because that's safe and sanitary but our own people like we have to go through the rituals of caring for this body um, that was once inhabited by someone. Well, I think about it with mental illness too. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that I like struggled and struggled and struggled to explain, um, especially to my mom, um, my mom doesn't live with mental illnesses and I do, um, is the idea that what's so scary is that when you're having, illogical and destructive thoughts that they're not coming from outside they're coming from you um that I kept I kept trying to tell her mom the caller is inside the house Mm. and she just like had no concept for what I was trying to tell her um but this idea that you like I want to be able to you know talk it's very therapy, right, to talk to your mental illness, but I want to be able to talk to my depression and say, you are not, you're not me, get out. Mm -hmm. But in a really real way, like, it's my brain. Mm -hmm. It's my thoughts. Like, I can pretend all day that this is some outside force, but, like, the caller is, the the call is coming from inside the house. Mm. Um, And... As much as I want to say, like, as much as I want to say this is some outside thing that's happened to me, like, it is part of who I am. Um, And even, you know, when I'm on my meds and things are well controlled, um, you know, even that language, like, right? Like, there's well controlled as if there's like a wild animal part of me that has to be reined in. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and, and then there's questions of like, well, am I who I am? 
um, without anxiety, without depression, you know, is the version of me that I present to the world that doesn't have these issues, me, Mm -hmm. in the same way that a more authentic version of myself is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's questions about, like, self-actualization in there. Yeah. Uh, Man, this is heavy. (laughs) I mean, this is what happens, right? Like, you can read a book for sort of what it is, but I – I always have to get into these like deeper meanings and like what else it brings up, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, are we talking about Blanca and Roja anymore? I don't know. Like, Blanca and Roja definitely does not talk about zombies or Jesus, but here we are. <laughs> uh, you know, like are. all of this stuff is just like so interrelated. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. And I mean, not to harp on Death of the Author. Um, do you know what I mean when I say Death of the Author, by the way? Yes, I do, but do you want to maybe elaborate? Yeah, so basically I could get into the who's and what's and how's, but basically it's the idea that once someone creates something and puts it out into the world, their intentions about it are sort of irrelevant. Um, So this idea that you don't have control over what another person reads from from, from your work or sees in your work. Right. Or hears in your work. Um, so when, you know, when you say, like, Blanca and Roja isn't about zombies or Jesus, right? Like, in one way, sure, it's not. But in another way, like, if that's where the words take you, then that is what it's about. Yeah. Um, and you know what? There, There is actually a little bit of religion in this. Um, Roja <laughs> and Liam have this conversation Liam's like you believe in a god who made the world in seven days and Blanc or Rojas like actually six um you know let me correct you but Mm -hmm. you know he's like spitting science at her and it's like oh well you don't like that well you know don't you believe this um which I found really interesting because it's not a long conversation it's just sort of like a brief Mm -hmm. mention uh but there's some interesting things packed into that about like again about identity um like so it it doesn't necessarily mean that these girls are christian because that um you know that's also a a jewish text and um uh, so many different uh creation stories exist out in the world for different religions but um there's also the mention that like grandma tess goes to church um although she lives with a woman and you know some people would see that as contradictory um that she is in love with and lives with is in a relationship with a woman um just in case you're new to us as a friendship and to our ideas we do not find that contradictory at all uh planting that flag but um go on um yeah uh so yeah I don't know I just think it's interesting like the way that this book like toys a little bit with the idea of religion um you know that it's like present as an identity in the lives of these characters but like also not afraid to get into sort of like superstition and magic and like culture too um of like what this the the Latinx community Uh, that surrounds these girls um, sort of infuses their belief system uh, with uh, these sort of like ancient ideas and practices. Yeah. I mean, culture and religion, like we pretend that they're separate, but they're so interconnected. You really can't talk about one without talking about the other. So yeah, I mean, there's, it, it makes me wonder about, you know, about the questions. And again, I'm sure uh, Anna Marie Macklemore has her own ideas about, you know, what Blanca and Roja's religious lives would look like. But, uh, you know, it makes me wonder about those things that the story just didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. And that there's always, you know, there's always infinite richness that can be teased out. Um, you know, a book is never going to answer every question that you have. Yeah, 
and and that like even the the depth and richness of the characters that we see in this book it isn't all of them like we're, we're still uh-huh. getting a glimpse um and i think that that's a beautiful thing too um because the characters can live on in our imaginations um in in different ways you got to be careful, Shelby. You're nearing me to talking to falling off the precipice of talking about fan fiction. <laughs> hey, look! I think that there is a valid place for fanfic. Um, you know what? It just—I'll I'll just say that. <laughs> um, but hey, um, was there anything else in this book that like stood out to you that you really wanted to talk about? One, you know, one question that I sort of had, and I wrote it down, and in the middle of our conversation, I just kept thinking about the part of, about the past version of myself that wrote this question, and wanting to grab her by the shoulders and be like, you missed the point, um, is I wrote, what narrator did you relate to the most? Hmm. And I just keep wanting to go back and be like, that's, that's reducing these characters down to these stereotypes that you can be like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a this person, I'm a this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, my, my answer to that question would be like, well, Roja, because for all that, for all that I've, like, never gotten in trouble in my life, um, I, I, I view my own self as, like, a, a girl that doesn't fit inside societal expectations for what a girl should be because of my size and my height and, um, you know, other things, whatever. But, you know, I, as I'm asking that question, I'm like, you know, I, I realize that asking that question and answering it the way I did puts myself into the box that this entire book is trying to dismantle. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so yeah, I just think it's really interesting it's just another sign of how embedded these biases are in in my in my own brain at least yeah um, well i think it, it sort of brings up that point again of like it is possible to identify with a character without saying like i am exactly like this character or this character is exactly like me you know uh-huh. like i found myself identifying with aspects of blanca aspects of roja aspects of yearling aspects of page um so yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting question i I think it's uh it's good that you brought it up sort of like thinking about it through the lens of um let's not box ourselves in to any to anyone shelby so would it be fair to say that your rating is a 10 out of 10 i mean yeah yeah I really can't give it anything else. Ain't nothing wrong with that. What about you? Oh, golly. Um, oh, let me meditate on this for a second. Um, you know, I think I'm going to say 7.5. All right. Like, there is nothing wrong with it. I just, it just... The writing just didn't grab me. It's not your cup of tea, if you will. And you, you know I love a cup of tea. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think it's great, too, that, like, you don't have to love a book to explore the richness of it and of, mm-hmm. of what it contains. So. Some Walt Whitman. It contains multitudes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Precisely. We also wanted to say that in the editing process uh when i shelby was on twitter i saw that anna marie mclemore actually posted something about their pronouns being they them and not she her and when we recorded the podcast uh we were going with the pronouns that were on the back of the book flap and um after some further research, Anna Marie Macklemore uses they, them pronouns. Our bad for not knowing, um, but no, ignorance is not an excuse. So every time you hear a she, her in reference to Anna Marie Macklemore, that is 100% our bad. Please forgive us. 
if you want to get in touch with us and let us know what you think, what you thought about Blanca and Roja, what you think we should read next, or anything else that you would want two girls named Jenny and Shelby to know, you can contact us at chubrubbookclub at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow on Instagram at chubrubbookclub. That's where you'll be able to find what we're going to be reading and recording next, and all the info about when episodes are up and when you when and where you can listen to them hooray yay and we also have a new website yay and that can be found at chubrubbookclub.com and there you'll be able to find transcripts of our episodes we try to get those up shortly after each episode airs and uh, also just a little you know, like if we have show notes or something like that, something that we reference in the podcast that you might want to know more about, uh, we might post it there. So check it out. Chub Rub Book Club, everywhere you want to be. Um, if you like what we're doing here and find this interesting, uh, leave us a review. Write a review. Tell people about it. Because... Write a review as beautiful as Shelby's review of Blanca and Roja. Also, you can follow us on Goodreads because we read a lot of books. <laughs> More it's than true. we will be able to talk about here. Um, it is true. So. Okay. Shelby, this has been a, a great time. Lovely. A <laughs> I have quite enjoyed it. Hey, your body is important. Your body is good. Your body is good. Should we just end every episode like that? Your body is good. Your body is good. I I like that. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Okay. Okay.